Welcome to Holding Down the Fort, a podcast show dedicated to curating knowledge, resources, and relevant stories for today's military spouses so they can continue to make confident and informed decisions for themselves and their families. Because let's face it, we know who's really holding down the fort. I'm Jen Amos, a Gold Star daughter, veteran spouse, and your host for Holding Down the Fort by U.S. Vet Wealth. Let's get started. All right. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Holding Down the Four. I am your host, Jen Amos. Really excited to get into this interview today. I have with me Brittany Dunn. She has the honor of helping leading Safe House Project as the Chief Operations Officer. So prior to the Safe House Project, Brittany Dunn spent 10 years in the international business development at CareerBuilder.com working around the world. She has a BA in economics and English from Wellesley College. She has her MBA and graduated top of her class from Thunderbird School of Global Management. She is a military spouse, mother of two, continual learner, world traveler, and protector of the vulnerable. Brittany, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. It's great to be here. Yeah, I know that we met in person like once, (laughs) like over a year ago when my husband Scott and I were really just exploring Synapse out here in Virginia Beach because formerly we were in Richmond and getting to know the organization over there. And when we came out here, you know, I was a Navy child. I've always been near water. And so the moment we saw water out here, we like literally found a place in a month and like moved here and we've been here ever since. And so I like it here. I know that things have shifted this year for many of us. And so I thought I would start by asking you the question, Brittany, has anything changed for you since, you know, since the new normal, since the pandemic? Just a few things. (laughs) We actually were in Virginia Beach. Now we are up in the DC area. We did a PCS during this time. So I just to a husband no longer in a squadron, but now Mm -hmm. I'm working at the Pentagon. And from the work perspective, just canceling 10 fundraisers is a lot to Mm. try and make up for from an operational budget side of the house. So I think it's been a little bit of everything. We've been working at it and trying to make sure that we can adjust. But I think all of us are still learning a little bit of how to balance the collision of work and home life and moves and everything that the Navy life brings or the military life. So Mm -hmm. yeah, it's been an experience, I think, for all of us. Wow. Well, that's amazing. And I appreciate you updating me on your life. And it sounds like so much has changed in just a matter of months. I mean, obviously, a lot of things have changed for a lot of people. But the fact that you and your family have PCS in this time, I was actually very curious about that. So, you know, my husband's a veteran and I've you know been out of the military life for a long time. Do you feel like this PCS was unique compared to maybe other PCSs that didn't involve a pandemic? Yes. And I think that's been the case for a lot of military families. I think that We already know how unpredictable military life is, Mm -hmm. but I've seen a lot of spouses have their move canceled day up because there's a shift in, you know, wherever they're going to, you know, you have to be extra sensitive to who's in your home. And the fact that you have people just flowing in and out of your space while you're trying to control the family and control the whole situations that are happening right now, it's a lot. I was very impressed. We had, for the first time I watched six guys pack my house in a half of a day. They did 20,000 pounds of packing in a half day, which was really impressive and loaded the truck. And I've never seen them pack and load in one day. So, wow. 
that meant that we had a lot broken, but that's kind of also the joy of PCSing. (laughs) Oh my goodness. Well, I'm glad to hear that. It sounds like you've settled in just fine and everything. And, you know, just talking about the chaos of being a military family and really trying to establish a new normal after every PCS, but it sounds like you were able to make a smooth transition from what I'm hearing. Yeah. I mean, I think at the end of the day, military families are resilient. And I think in a lot of ways, we probably are all set up to be more successful to weather 2020 because we are used to volatility. We're used to those big shifts. I think that it has posed you in new challenges, but I do think that military families really have a leg up on the rest of the population and just trying to adjust and simper Gumby. I mean, that's really what it comes down to for all of us. Yeah, absolutely. I was saying to Scott at the beginning of the year, or really the beginning of the pandemic, I was like, you know, I think this is a time that civilian families need to model after military families because we are so accustomed and used to this type of shift (laughs) in our lives. And so I appreciate you just sharing a little part of that and what transition or PCSing has been like for you in these recent months. So the next thing that I want to get into, Brittany, is you did hint that this year you had to unfortunately cancel 10 fundraisers. And so before we get into that, let's talk a little bit about the Safe House Project, because I think it's an incredible organization. But for people that are hearing about it for the first time, what do you want to tell them about the Safe House Project? Yeah, so Safe House Project, we founded it as three military families the end of 2017, really in response to the fact that at that time, Health and Human Services was estimating that 300,000 American children are trafficked every year in the United States, that the identification is only at 1%. And that was startling to us. You know, that's obviously really impactful as military families who see our spouses deploy and are protecting the freedom that that all of our families has fought for, you know, and so that really hit home for all of us. And so mm-hmm. we started Safe House Project with a mission to increase victim identification through education. But the other side of that is that we wanted to make sure that when somebody was identified, that we had the opportunity to provide them with safe housing and that holistic care that they need to really heal from the trauma that they have endured. And when we started, there were less than 100 beds in long-term restorative care homes for child sex trafficking survivors. And so we work as a capacity builder across the United States, coming alongside new and expanding organizations, really to ensure that no matter how many kids are rescued or identified, that they have a path forward and we can kind of end that cycle of seeing a recidivism rate of 80% without it. Yeah. I think it's quite incredible that three military spouses had come together to create this. Talk about the early stages of that, of let's say you three coming together or meeting and what sparked it in you and all three of you to be like, we're going to create the Safe House Project. Yeah, that was an adventure. So it kind of was born out of a one of our, the members of our church had gone to, on a missions trip to South Africa, and he had mm. seen the need for a safe house to serve those who had been uh, single or double orphaned by the AIDS epidemic. And he came back with this vision to start a safe house. Well, he's a Christian hip hop artist. And so he started and launched an album called Safe House. And we kind of wow. came outside, I know, and supported getting that off the ground. But the three of us that are military spouses had seen the impact of trafficking on communities that we've lived in or worked in as military families moving around. And we said, wow, you know, it's amazing to be able to 
pour into projects overseas, but if this is happening on domestic soil, we really Mm -hmm. want to take and look at that. And so I went out on maternity with my second child and my daughter was three weeks old. My husband deployed with three days notice. My co-founder and our CEO, Christy Wells, her husband deployed that week and the last one's husband was underway. So when you have seven children under the age of seven, three deployed spouses, one of those kids being a newborn, you start a national nonprofit and you just see how it goes. (laughs) (laughs) Right? (laughs) I know, exactly. So by the end of maternity leave, I emailed my husband on the ship because, of course, we didn't get to really have a nice long discussion about walking away from gainful employment. And he said, (laughs) so I'm not going back to corporate America. And he was great with that. But, you know, it's one of those where... Sometimes you get called into something else. And I think for us, our family operates from a place of service and wanting to really protect vulnerable kids in our community, whatever community that is that we get to be part of for whatever period of time. Yeah. And so really that is where we kind of, our early days started was, you know, a baby on a kitchen counter and three military spouses coming together to make something work and seeing the way that it's grown has been really, we say a God-sized adventure. Yeah. I just love how you describe like, oh, you know, imagine having this many kids and these spouses and let's just create a, let's create a nonprofit. Why not? Why not in the middle of all this? Let's just do that. That's what you do. That's the perfect time to create something is in the middle of chaos. (laughs) It is. But I think that's been the thing that I like to remind people even about COVID is that Mm -hmm. those trials breed innovation. And Mm -hmm. so we can either allow for the impact of these challenges to shape us and form us, or we can mold those into opportunities to respond. Mm -hmm. And so for me during that season specifically, I am somebody who I love my kids, but I like to work and Mm -hmm. I really enjoy solving complex problems. And so I think it was probably a godsend to start something new in a season where I didn't have my spouse at home as that kind of other person to help with the kids and all of that. This was a huge outlet for me where I felt like, you know, we were all in it together as military families. We were doing life together. Like somebody else held my baby while she was, you know, itty bitty yeah, and was there for her when I was having just that desperate need to sit and focus my mind on something that I enjoyed or and I know this is a hard subject, but the act of bringing life to an organization and starting a business can be really rewarding. And I think leaning into hard can produce a lot of incredible results. And I think that's even in COVID, what we work to do as Safe House Project, like when everything hit the fan and we had to cancel all of those events, we said, okay, well, what can we do in this season? Mm -hmm. And that's when we recognized that Last year, Christy and I trained 10,000 people between the two of us on how to stop, report, and prevent trafficking. And when we started to really analyze um, who we had trained, we were seeing an increase in survivor identification at an exponential rate compared to the areas that hadn't been. Mm -hmm. And so we were able to partner with an incredible foundation called the Malou Foundation out of Utah to take all of our learnings from last year and take that back to our survivors and say, hey, the most impactful thing that people have said about the trainings is your stories. 
How mm-hmm. can we bring that to more people? And that's what COVID has done for us is we took all of these survivor stories and we converted it into a one hour free digital training called on watch where survivors share about those, not really about what happened behind closed doors, about where they intersected community members Mm -hmm. and how each of us can be equipped and empowered to spot report and prevent trafficking. Yeah. And so I wonder sometimes that if we didn't have COVID, would we have done that? Probably not because we had 75 speaking engagements already lined up for the year, let alone just fundraisers and other activities. And so I think it's recognizing that we have an opportunity to pivot and come up with something better sometimes than what maybe our original plans were. And that's great. And that's what I think that I think that's also a unique quality of military families is to know how to pivot and to lean into hard and then to be better for it. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's very powerful. And sometimes you can have all your plans laid out and uh, something to look forward to. And then, you know, God's like, no, just kidding. And and he challenges you. He's like, you know what, actually, that's not what I want you to do. I want you to do something else. And in this experience, you've been able to educate more people on victim identification and, and everything. I just want to talk about that for a little bit, Brittany, because I'm very curious as someone who really knows very little about trafficking. What are some key things that you can share with us to understand victim identification? Like, what can the average person do? Actually, I think is a question I want to ask to know if someone is a victim. Sure. I think what is important to realize is that there are a lot of misperceptions around what trafficking is. And so at its core, it's anytime somebody is coerced into sex through force, fraud, or coercion. And so... Mm -hmm. That into commercial sex, I should say. But whenever we're talking about a child, we don't have to prove force, fraud, or coercion. So that means that anytime a child is used for commercial sex, whether that's child pornography or prostitution, that it is considered sex trafficking. Mm. And so with that, it's a broad definition and it spans a lot of different business types. So in the on-watch training, we dive into, well, what does familial trafficking look like? We, I think, all have an understanding that child sexual abuse, unfortunately, has been a reality for a lot of American kids for a very long time. Mm-hmm. And this is the continuation of that. It's adding on that commercial element. And so we have to be aware of vulnerable kids who are being abused by a family member, especially during times where now these kids are trapped in unsafe homes. And, you know, that's going to be that child that may not be on all the virtual learning platforms, who's missing a lot of classes, who isn't engaging. And so we have reporting in some ways is up, but for kids, it's actually down because the mandatory reporters, which are teachers, aren't there to necessarily interact with the students in the same way. And so we all have to kind of become mandatory reporters, so to speak, and speak up when we think a child is in harm's way. Yeah. Um, And so we kind of go through that. We go through boyfriending scenarios, which I think is one that we all can have seen, you know, or probably know somebody who's had that older boyfriend who Mm. puts pressure on that teen girl who gets her to maybe engage in activities that she didn't 100% feel comfortable with. The evolution of that has been really 
these girls sleeping around with, or not sleeping around, but having sex, being forced into sexual acts with either peers or older individuals. And so, you know, it's not quite as complex as I think everybody imagines it to be. And so that's what On Watch does. It really talks about how grooming happens on the through the gaming console or on the phone or through Instagram or any of the platforms that that predatory behavior can happen on. And so it's how do we just as members of society protect vulnerable kids as parents and put in place the safety measures to keep our kids safe. And then as anyone just really say, Hey, I'm going to be on watch to just, if anything just feels off, I'm going to say something and it's reporting to the national human trafficking hotline. You don't have to be fearful that if you're wrong, (laughs) then Mm -hmm. something is going to blow back on you because it's really just about how do we create a pattern of tips that are acute to law enforcement once, you know, that something might be wrong and they can investigate. So I encourage you, I encourage everyone to go online and to IamOnAWatch.org and take the training. I think there's a lot to learn from that. Our survivors, we had 15 survivors write this and we poured six months of their time and energy into it really to bring to life the first survivor written training on this topic. And I got to bear witness to their, you know, their creation, but I can tell you it's been powerful. We've already seen about three kids rescued as a result of the training. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Wow. Well, thank you for sharing that. And I know that for our listeners, if they want to learn more about that training, the website again is IamOnWatch.org. And we will definitely provide that in the show notes for you. Brittany, I just want to take a moment here and really just applaud you for the work that you're doing. And also, I like how you said earlier that even though you love being a mother, you also love working. And I can tell just by the passion you know, that you have shared with me today with the Safe House Project. I want to go back to like the family. And so now that, you know, rather than, what is it? There's that saying, I I thought it was funny how you told your husband that instead of, we're kind of telling him last minute, hey, I'm going to leave my corporate job and start a nonprofit. How has your relationship been with your husband today? And like, how has the dynamic been with the family since you started the Safe House Project? Great question. It has been a roller coaster. It (laughs) has had a lot of highs and a lot of lows Mm because I think you know, as supportive as he is and as supportive of the military is to try and get spouses to work and be there. The reality is, is that I always will know that there's a trade-off in careers and things like that. So I think we've had to navigate that at certain, you know, moments because my job isn't the one that is, you know, bringing home the money really to support the family. But In lieu of that, I mean, he's really supportive and the community has been. I mean, every single one of his bosses has always known what I do and have helped him be able to stand in the gap when I need to travel or be at an event or flex. And so I think that that's something I would encourage is honest dialogue. If you are a working spouse of somebody in the military to have those great conversations with your chain of command so that they recognize like that they want you to be a whole person and be successful and pursue your dreams. And there are times when that does have to take a back seat, but it doesn't have to be all the time. And so I think that's what we've really worked to learn is when are those moments? Can I, you know, I step away and focus really specifically on safe house 
Mm-hmm. And when do I need to play my role as mom or as military spouse? And I think every time you kind of step into a new dynamic, it takes a little bit of time to work out the kinks, but open communication and dialoguing and then being willing to adjust your expectations can make it honestly successful in the long run. Yeah, I appreciate you sharing that. From what I heard, essentially, it's like you said about having open communication and making everyone involved aware that you have goals and aspirations and dreams too. And I think it could be very easy for spouses to maybe, especially I think young spouses to assume that, okay, this is my role, you know, like this is what I do. I got to stay at home. I have to adapt. I have to, you know, I'm always going to be second priority. And I really like how no matter after every PCS, you find a way to, you know, get settled in, but also make space for yourself outside of being a mother and even talking to your husband about that and everyone really involved. And so I think that is very admirable and something that our, you know, listeners can really benefit from. So thank you for sharing that, Brittany. Yeah, of course it is. It's a challenge that is worth overcoming when you have that dialogue with your significant other to figure out how you both can achieve your dreams because that's where military life is incredible and it affords a lot of opportunities to all of us. And I think that we don't have to lose our dreams in the process. We don't have to lose our identity. And when we have that open dialogue and set clear expectations, we create a path where both people can feel empowered to pursue the calling on their life. And that can be a joint calling that can be each kind of, as my husband and I are like different paths, but we're going in the same direction. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what's important to remember is that we can create a spirit of service within our family for us personally. That's what it kind of ties back to. And the core of that though, is making sure that our family is strong and centered and grounded and in a position to be a servant leader. Mm-hmm. And as long as we take that step back on occasion to pour into our family, then we're better equipped to serve either in safe house or in the military or in whatever element of the community that we want to be part of. And I think that's really, it's pouring from a full cup. It's all of that coming together to really create a tapestry of service. Yeah. Wow. Beautifully said. Well, Brittany, I think that's really all the questions that I have today. I'm just so appreciative of your time, you know, giving us an opportunity to learn a little bit more about the Safe House Project and also update me on your life and how is it going and how is the family going and and everything Um, before we go. And I mean, I feel like you wrapped it up so well already, but if there's any final parting advice that you want to share with our fellow military families, what would you like to share with them? I think that really... For me, it comes down to we have a unique opportunity to be the eyes and ears of our communities, and we get to flow in and out of a lot of different communities and maybe see the world a little bit differently than somebody who's in the same spot their entire life. And so Mm -hmm. use that advantage. We have a competitive differentiator being military families. And so we can be on watch in our communities. We can stand in the gap for individuals in our communities and I encourage you to learn more about the Safe House Project. We're at safehouseproject.org. Take the on-watch training and just continue to fight for what you're passionate about, what your spouse is passionate about, and you will not regret leaning into 
the life that is military family. (laughs) Beautiful. That is a wonderful way to wrap up this conversation. Brittany Dunn, thank you again so much for your time. It was a pleasure having you here on Holding Down the Fort. Thank you. Yeah. And to our listeners, we hope that today you gained at least one piece of knowledge, resource, or relevant story to help you to continue to make confident and informed decisions for you and your family. With that said, we look forward to speaking with you in the next episode. In the next time. Oh,